We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. That man is Bruce Levine. And, Bruce, it's Cubs Brewers for the second weekend in a row. Tom Hodricourt, who's uh, covered the Brewers for as many years as I've been around. Tom, how many now? How many years? 30 what? Uh, about 33 or so. Oh, well, you're, uh, you probably got it down already then. I'm still working on it. <laughs> Tom's been a good friend for a long time. He joins us uh, on 670 The Score, 670thescore.com, inside the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been interesting ever since last year, Tom, when Cole Hamill said, well, you know, I, I don't know if this is a rivalry between the Cubs and the Brewers having come in here as a new guy saying, you know, I, I don't know if it's a real rivalry because so many Chicago fans show up in Milwaukee uh, it's it, a lot of it's gone Milwaukee's way. Uh, it's uh, it's funny how those things happen. Well, you know the Brewers. The Brewers had a, a year last year that probably a lot of people didn't see coming. Um, you know they they totally stripped their team down starting in 2015, and as you guys know and Cubs fans know from going through that same process here, um, it usually takes a few years. You know and. In the second year of the rebuild, they missed the wild card by one game, and in the third year, they won the division and came within a game of the World Series. So it happened, you know, a little faster than people could have projected. And yeah, Cole probably should have waited, you know, beyond one game as a Cub to pronounce that it's not really a rivalry. <laughs> and and uh, he uh, maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe we should check with him like after he pitches today and see what he says. But, by the way, uh, a little news out of Wrigley. Um... Brad Brock has been designated for assignment with Hamels uh, coming off the IL and pitching today. Cubs go back to eight in uh, their bullpen and Brock, who they signed Whew. in the offseason. Uh, Never really worked out. Has to go somewhere else. So that, that bit on news. That was, uh, that was the move that, uh, that we kind of uh, figured they might make, and, and there it is. Hey, hey, hey Tom, I, I was, it felt like to me that as of the end of last year, the Brewers had done to the Cubs what the Cubs had done to the Cardinals a few years earlier. They had gotten over the hump and were better and more confident that they were better than the big brother. Do they still, as a group, believe that they are the better team than the Cubs? Well, I think they, they are confident that they can compete with the Cubs. They never take the Cubs light, lightly. Whenever you talk to any of the Brewers about the Cubs, that it's always with respect because they saw what the Cubs did and uh, – and, and winning the World Series, and they also, you know, right, rightly said last year that they knew the division went through Chicago, and it literally did in a game 163. I mean, it's it, it never ceases to amaze me that you can play an entire 162 game season and still not be enough games, you know. Yeah, and then really, right. and really, four teams had to play an extra game because the Dodgers and the Rockies did too. So everybody always says, uh, you know. 
the season's too long and all this. And I'm going, well, well you know, sometimes it's still not enough games. And I, the Brewers had an extraordinary September last year. They, they, they are exhibit A for what getting hot at the right time can do. You know, they were five games back of the Cubs on Labor Day last right. year when the Cubs, when the Cubs came to Miller Park. And the Brewers won two out of three in that series, and that started the erosion of the Cubs' lead. Um, you know, the Cubs didn't play bad in September. The Brewers just played ridiculously good. They were 20-7, and seven, and they won their last eight games. Yep. Now, go back and find any team that's ever, you know, that's won their last eight games, and they needed every one of them to win the division by one game. And then they won four more in a row to start the postseason. They won 12 in a row. Uh, from September into October, you just don't see teams do that. Yeah, you know, ironically, the Cubs, Tom, did that in 2015 when they first made their first playoff run with this new group, uh, getting there with Pittsburgh and and um, um, St. Louis at that time. You remember, yeah. uh, you know, uh, all those teams won 97 plus that year. But it is it is impossible, and and your points are certainly well taken on that, Tom. Uh, I admire the Brewers and their organization, and in particular this year where they've suffered so many injuries to the pitching staff, the starting pitchers, and they pieced yeah. it together. Is Council that good of a manager that he just uh, has a way to continually get them out there in a positive mode that this group has such great belief? Or, or does it come from the, the, the new leaders, the Yelichs and the Canes? Well, I think probably all of the above. And and let's not forget the bullpen injuries either, Bruce. I mean, Corey Knable lost to Tommy John surgery in spring training. Jeremy Jeffress had a shoulder injury in spring training, and he's really never been the same since, as you guys saw yesterday. You know, last year their bullpen between Knable, Hayter, and Jeffress, if you go back and look at their numbers, uh, Council dubbed them the electric dudes because their strikeout totals, all of them had way more than 10 strikeouts per nine innings. And they could just strike you out. And that's how, boy, that's the great equalizer for getting out of jams, striking you out. And so it's both their rotation and their bullpen has been thinned tremendously by injuries mm-hmm. this year. And that's where they've had a lot of their trouble with their pitching. But, but to the council question, I think, you know, I think he was the runner-up for manager of the year last year to Brian Snicker, and then the year before that, the runner-up, I forget to who. Uh, so, he, I mean, I think he's pretty widely recognized throughout baseball as a really good manager. You know, he's literally born to manage the Brewers. His dad worked uh, in the front office in community relations when I got uh, to Milwaukee in the 80s. His dad, John, was in the uh, – front office and and Craig was running around on any given day out there in his little league uniform and so I've literally known him since uh he was a kid so I have it's the most unique relationship I've ever had with a manager because I've known him since he was a kid I covered him as a player his last five years as a player were with the Brewers before he retired then he went into the front office right so I worked you know worked with him there and then he became manager yeah. So I, you know, I know I'm old, but I still don't know many <laughs> managers from from childhood. <laughs> uh, it, 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 Tom, uh, is David Stearns 
Uh, you know, I've, I've heard him getting a rough ride from some Milwaukee fans and a couple friends in Milwaukee radio, frankly. Um, yeah. and, and I'm wondering why they haven't gone out, in your opinion, to get that big-time ace pitcher to be at the top of the rotation. Is it about who the options have been? Is it about spending the money that it would take to do it or the prospect capital? Do they, or do they simply not believe that they need it? Well, last year, you know, they traded away many of their top prospects, uh, four of them in the Yelich trade. I think we can say that worked out pretty good since he got MVP, mm-hmm. and they had five years of control toll. Then, then they traded more prospects at the trade deadline to get Mike Moustakis, Joaquin Soria, Jonathan Scope. So they, they cut a pretty wide swath through their uh, prospects, uh, top prospects last year. And their farm system, therefore, is not rated nearly as high. So I don't think they they felt comfortable with stripping down more prospects in a trade situation. And Stearns told me that the asking price for decent starting pitchers in this trading session was outrageous. You know, and you know, really, Granky and Bauer were the only two moved. And look at what it took to make those deals. Yeah, you, you know, so. Uh, so they didn't, and then you know their budget. Uh, this is not whining, but they can't spend money like the Cubs guys. Look at the two payrolls. Well, what's the Cubs payroll? Uh, about two ten, two eleven. Yeah, and the Brewers are at an all-time high of one twenty-five. All-time, all-time high. Now they chose to spend their money, their their available money in the late season, late off season, for offense. They signed Mike Mustakas and and Grandal. Uh, yeah, it's Monty Grandal. And those guys are having really good seasons. They both made the all-star team. But they chose for offense over pitching. Uh, and, and, you know, you guys saw the way they ran their staff last year. They bullpen the heck out of games. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they, they routinely pull the starter after five innings. They, they are firm believers in the analytics model that says, be careful letting your starter go a third time through the lineup. Firm believers in that. So, uh, but, because they've been thin so much uh, by injuries, it's it's really made it hard to do it. So they had they suffered a, a injury that would have crippled any pitching staff two weeks ago when Brandon Woodruff was lost with a strained oblique. He had he had emerged as by far their best starting pitcher. They were he had made 20 starts and the Brewers were 16 and four in those games. Yeah, that's significant. Hey, Tom, uh, Matt, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for. Picking up the phone, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse today. We'll see you out at the ballpark. Okay, see you guys at the yard. All right, thanks, thanks Tom Hondrecourt, who is Mr. Baseball as far as the media goes in Milwaukee, along with Bob. I mean, he he has been there forever and a, a great guy and not shy to tell you the truth about what's going on there. When we come back, Matt, Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs will join us on Inside the Clubhouse. This is 670 and 670thescore.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse here on 670 The Score. Last night, 
In South Bend, Indiana, Ben Zobrist returned to professional baseball. He was uh, asked how he was feeling after batting practice, smiled and gave a thumbs up before heading into the clubhouse, did not speak to media, did not speak to media after the game. Doesn't have plans to do so anytime real soon, though Theo Epstein did also say yesterday that he does want to talk to media, does want to explain himself. Yeah, he wants and to talk to the Chicago media, mm-hmm. not media. He wants to, because he knows with his respect for the way he's been dealt with here, that those are the people he wants to talk to first. So that will be arranged for us. But before that, much more importantly, he wants to talk to his teammates. Mm-hmm. He's not talking to the media before he talks to his teammates. He hasn't talked to his teammates or been around his teammates uh, for months. So, uh, you know, people don't get the organization of how this is supposed to work. They probably assume, oh, yeah, he's been in and, uh, in and out of the clubhouse dealing with teammates. He hasn't talked to any of them since May 7th, okay? He's been, you know, dealing with his personal stuff that's going on, and that is it. So... He will talk to his teammates, then the Chicago media, and he won't do it until he's ready to when he knows that he's on his way back, when he's de- dealing with a body soreness not being there, and that he has something to tell his teammates. You know, mm-hmm. Ben Zobris is a, I mean, I, I admire an awful lot of people in baseball in the game. Uh, he's, he's high in that team picture. I mean, he's a, a classy man, a great ball player. And uh, somebody to be admired. He uh, batted second and was the designated hitter for South Bend last night. Finished 0 for 3 with a walk and a strikeout. We'll talk a bit more about Ben Zobris' potential return a little bit later on in the show. We bring in one of his teammates from Wrigley Field, Ian Happ. Nice enough to join us inside the clubhouse on a Saturday morning. Good morning, Ian. Welcome back to Wrigley Field. Good morning. Yeah, nice to have you back in town. It must feel good. It does. It's great to be back with the with the guys. And uh, first game back in Wrigley Field was a lot of fun. What you know, people ask me, and I ask you a little bit. Uh, you know, the some of the things you work on, and athletes don't always share. You know, the mechanical part of everything because it doesn't work to their benefit necessarily, or it's a little too complicated to always explain. But in general, what were some of the things that you, you needed to work on according to the team? to be able to get back here uh, at this level? Um, according to the team, it was some of the stuff was reducing the strikeout rate, um, you know, being more competitive on, on fastballs and, and being a little bit more disciplined at the top of the zone. But um, when I started working through it, some of, the, some of the things were just getting back to the concepts that, that worked in, in 2017. And then... Um, Gaining confidence. I think that the biggest thing is just having confidence in yourself and knowing that day in and day out you can perform at the highest level. You, well, being as confident as you seem to be, and when I've been around you, and I, you know, I don't know you great, but I know you a little, you seemed like an awfully confident guy, even when you were struggling in spring training. So wh- where does that come off the, uh, the track for you and then regaining that? Um, you know, I think you always have to present a confident front, and you, and you always have to believe in yourself, even when you are scuffling or um, you don't quite feel comfortable. Um, when it comes time to compete, you really have to, whether it's real or fake confidence, you have to trick yourself into into being a confident hitter. Because if you step into that batter's box and you aren't confident, you've already lost. So the biggest thing is 
um, no matter what's happening, uh, believing in yourself and um, you can trick yourself into a few hits now and then. Oh, I love that, Ian. As Steve Martin and Jerry Seinfeld are one of those comedians in cars drinking coffee. How did that conversation? Steve Martin says fake confidence and real confidence are the exact same thing. They, they really exactly are. Right. Just, right? You've got to fake it till you make it sometimes every once in a while. Um, it, it, Ian, it, it seems like when the team asked you to go down and work on that stuff um, and then the results weren't there for you for like the first couple of months, was it, was it difficult to, to stay on point with, with what the team seemed to want from you? Because that, they were going to be the ones to decide whether you came back up. So did, did you have to, to work to stay focused on doing that stuff instead of maybe regressing and trying to get you know, one or two more hits a week here or there? Yeah, that, that was a really difficult difficult part at first was um, the process versus the results and, and really wanting results because that's what is going to ultimately be the difference maker in getting back. And, and the process was right the whole time. It was, you know, I'm going to work on striking out less. I'm going to work on putting some of these balls in play first um, and then work into driving the baseball again, work into uh, being an all-around productive hitter. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely difficult to stay with that process and, and difficult to um, kind of move move through all those steps when really all you wanted to do was, was help uh, this team win. What don't we understand, Ian, as fans, about how difficult it is to not swing at a fastball that's coming high and, like, the eye level, like, it looks eventually like, oh, yeah, that was high, why did I swing? Why is it so appetizing for not just you, for everybody? Man, I, I've thought about this quite a bit, and I, I think if you took – 10 fans out of Wrigley Field, you pull them down to the batting cage, put the pitching machine up, and put it at one of those fastballs, I think you'd get about a 95% swing rate there. Um, and or I or think running it, out I, of the building. I, yeah, I think, it would be, I think it would be a lot of fun to watch. But it's just, it, it, the way that the guys are throwing um, now with the, the super high spin rate at the top of the zone, it, it, you're, it tricks your eye because your eye thinks, you know, naturally this ball has to come down. It has to get into a spot where I can hit it, and it's an optical illusion where it feels like the ball's rising on you. So um, it's it's a really effective pitch. It's what a lot of the league is, is turned to now, and um, it's something that we as baseball players have to make the adjustment to. Uh, when you spent your time at Iowa, um, how was the um, how was the you know split up between what you wanted to do offensively and then your continued improvement defensively, and did they keep you at one position mostly? Or was it mostly center field? I mean, uh, you know, they people forget you you didn't have a lot of outfield experience when you came into professional ball. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was good to get to play center field every day. Um, I still did bounce around, played a little bit of corner and some second base. Um, Marty Peavy, the manager down there, did a good job of um, getting me reps at both spots, and, and we're still a National League club half the time, you know, when you're out playing an AL club and in, in, in AAA. So um, I would move around, double switch. Uh, I would move from second to center, center to second, depending on the situation in the game. So I, I, I did get my experience in both spots, but it was really good for me to play uh, center field every day and, and continue to get better at the position. The way that pitchers have attacked you, Ian, and the Cubs in general is, is really how they're attacking a lot of hitters around the league. That high fastball and then the breaking ball, either a curve or slider that looks like it's coming out of the same tunnel and then drops off the table. Um, you had a great at-bat in St. Louis where you swung at one of those high fastballs, but then the next pitch or maybe two pitches later – 
was a curve at the bottom of the zone that you stayed back on and had had a big time RBI hit right there. Would, if you can let us in a little bit, are you sitting one or the other? Are you sitting breaking ball then trying to adjust fastball, or are you sitting fastball then trying to adjust breaking ball? It really depends on the situation and the pitcher. Uh, we have so much information um, as far as counts. Um, the way that you've been pitched in the past, uh, and and so you kind of take all that into into account when you go up to the plate. But uh, that was a great at bat, and I, I felt really good about um, a lot of the at bats that I've had so far. Uh, the results um, with some of the hits haven't quite been there, but getting on base and and I, I feel like they've been really productive um, at bats. Yeah, you've had two, you had two huge ones in Milwaukee as well. So with with that said. Um, you know, when you get around the Cubs and you, you were there long enough to feel this, I'm sure, you know, one day I went up to Zobris after he had three homers in three days and he was on the bench, and I said, you want me to go into Joe's office and talk to him about it? And he goes, what was the result of the game? And he said, I said, you guys won. He said, that's what we're here for. He said, we don't worry about that. But when it gets to the point where they say, all right, you're part of the team, but now you're not, because of your individual performance, uh, that's kind of two different messages. So, so how do you how do you internalize that? Um, you know, I, I think that at the end of the day, we're here to win baseball games. We're here to um, do everything we can to help the team. And, and now that I'm back and, and able to uh, be a part of it, be one of the 25 guys that gets to wear the Chicago Cubs uniform every day. That's all that matters is is finding a way to win as many baseball games as we can down the stretch. We were interested to see the lineup today, first time against a lefty after the deadline acquisitions, and it's Almora and Bodie in there and, and, and not you. Were, you. were you suspecting it would be this way, or were you hoping that maybe you'd get a start today? Um, I played last time against Gio and didn't, didn't have great results, so um, they're going to flip it up. And, and with Nick here now, you know, he smashes lefties, so he'll get that opportunity and I mean, I'll be available today off the bench and hopefully make an impact at some point. Ian, we appreciate your time very much. Uh, thanks for taking some time out today and, and joining us. And we, we wish you nothing but su- success. And for the Cubs, success or team wins, right? Yep. Appreciate it, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Ian Happ from Wrigley Field joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. And, uh, God, there was a lot of really interesting responses in uh, that interview. Yeah, a few things that caught your ear. Yeah, yeah, especially at the beginning. They asked me to, you know, uh, kind of he followed up on the way I phrased the question. Yeah, according to the team. So, again, you get back to asking him about his confidence factor and, you know, keeping that strong thought. Um, You know, he had one of the, you know, great, you know, I'm not. I'm not leaving this team. Type moments with Epstein and Hoyer and um, Joe Madden when they told him at the end of spring training hmm. he was cut. He refused to accept it, and it was uh, interesting. No one has been able to elaborate, or no one has wanted to elaborate or talk about it. But they said it was one of those great, high intensity conversations that didn't end quickly. Well, he's. That's interesting. He's a very intense guy. He's, his older brother um, was always a player. He always hung around older players when he was a little kid. Got that confidence from a very early age, and he's had it forever. And he fit in very, very well with this group when he got here. 
So the demotion obviously hit him hard. Remember, John Lester was a guy who had to talk to him and kind of help him get through it a little bit. He, he didn't accept it. I mean, he just didn't accept the idea that uh, spring training at bats, the fact that, we, that he was a 25 homer contributor in 17, and mm-hmm. that he was a part of the team in an essential part last year, even though it was a down year, that uh, he was being isolated and sent back to the minor leagues. And they, you know, Players don't understand that going back to the minor leagues uh, is not a penalty. It's not saying we don't like you. It's about player development. Right. And, and I admire the Cubs for doing that with him, with Carl Edwards that they try to get. I mean, you, got, you have Carl Edwards going back to the minor leagues after he helped you win a World Series. You know, one of the most important guys in your bullpen got the first two outs of the 10th inning in the last World Series game uh, when they won the World Series that year. I mean, that it's, you know, player development continues on, and sometimes you have to take a step backwards to take one forward, and it's, it's not penalizing. It's not being mean to the guy. It's just saying we have more work to do, and while we're trying to win here, you need to develop some of these other parts of your game. And they're the boss. So even if you might disagree or disagree about yeah. how to go about it, that's why I asked they about those. They didn't like it. They didn't like doing it. Right, but, but that's why I asked about those first couple of months when he was not getting results but was still trying to do the things that they were telling him he needed to do. So, I mean, as opposed to making adjustments himself just to, you know, try and, and have the numbers look a little better, he kept trying to do what they were asking him to do in hopes of getting back up. And now, finally, here he is. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, uh, the, the player development con- continues on and on and on. And, uh, you know, you see guys come up. They have a great debut. Uh, you know, Alzale, for, for instance. It's a good debut, you know, good next game. Next one he gets totally destroyed. And sooner, soon enough, you're back in the minor leagues. You get hurt. You know, we're waiting to hear that he's going to start pitching again. But it's just, it's not that easy. There's a lot of good players on that other side trying to beat you. I enjoyed Ian Happ's chuckle when I asked him about what fans and we do not understand about the difficulty of not swinging at a high fastball. And he explained it well. The optical illusion they, uh, they measure it now on a four-seam fastball. They call it carry as they measure it, and it is, it's the absence of drop. The best of them have a fastball that doesn't drop, so it looks like it's rising. No fastball yeah, rises. Well, it's a, it's a four-seam fastball. Right, it's a four-seam. It's, not, not, it's nothing new, but it's been quantified uh, you know, to a degree where you can see it better now, understand the spin rate of yeah. it, and how, how it impacts. And as you said... Everyone's using the uh, illusion of the uh, four-seam fastball and the breaking ball or the, or the change-up uh, out of the zone. None of, the most important factor, these are that none of them are strikes, okay, but mm. they give the illusion of being a strike. The best of them can throw that breaking stuff or that change-up for a strike, and if it freezes you, you're screwed. But, it, but most of the time, none of them are strikes. Right, and, and well, it takes... What it does is these analytics take advantage of the aggressiveness of, of the, the way the hitters are being taught now. Yes. So the hitters are taught strikeout is not a bad thing. Strikeout's okay. I can strike out 200 times. I'm going to hit 35. I'm going to drive in 80 to 90. <clears throat> My OPS is going to be uh, 800, 850, 900, and I'm a major league player. That's the difference in the game now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting because the Astros 
are famous for doing this. And I'll tell you, um, Aaron Sanchez is going to debut for them tonight. And Aaron Sanchez, a guy who once led the American League in ERA for the Toronto Blue Jays, and now he's there. And this, it just has the absolute stink of somebody who goes to Houston and pitches the best of their career. Because they, you know, every franchise thinks their people have a better way. There was a while there where we talked about the Cubs like that. They got Arietta, they fixed fixed Arietta, fixed Strope. But the Houston Astros even proved to to uh, Verlander that there is a better way. Verlander and Cole both right. improving. Right. And, and so will Sanchez, as you point out, learn about how spin rate will help him be a better pitcher. Yeah, the, the quotes from Verlander in the piece that I read today about how Sanchez is going to get helped, Verlander just saying it flat out, yeah, there's a big talk yeah. about how you get better here. It's no secret as to why we have some very smart people and you get right. a lot of input. But what's the number one element? Great. They go, they went for a guy that had great talent. Yes, and they haven't gotten the most out of him. So that's what they did with Cole Verlander. Was already a finished product. He's even better now uh, with the Astros. We're going to take a break. Come back. Close out the show with you. Then uh, Rosie and Matt will take you the rest of the way up to Cub baseball. But in the meantime, we'll talk a little bit more about the White Sox. We'll talk about Ben Zobris. Everything that you'd like to talk about at three one two six four four six seven six seven. Text 670 Bottom of the hour was brought to you by the Chicago Wolves, your Western Conference champion. Chicago Wolves will open the season on Saturday, October 5th. For group and season tickets, visit chicagowolves.com. And if you are planning a business trip, a wedding, or looking for the perfect ride for your car, to, for your child to arrive in style for homecoming, visit prestigeexotics.com to rent your dream car. That's prestigeexotics.com. Dot com. Phone lines open at 312-644-6767. He's Bruce. I'm Matt. It's inside the clubhouse on the score. It's quite a day to be over here in the, uh, the intercom radio hotbed that we're in here at Prudential Tower. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's a a terrific band setting up across the way. There's a baseball Hall of Famer doing a radio show around the corner. And also Steve Rosenblum. I said it. Rosenblum is ready to do some Rock'em Sock'em radio at 11 o'clock. You had me, then you lost. <laughs> Where did I lose you? <laughs> I, I, have... I think it was the Hall of Famer. Uh, <laughs> well, depending on... On, on which one? You know, there's not many straws that yeah, stir the drink. A, if you're a baseball fan this weekend, you know, the, the great national is at uh, the Donald Stevens Center this weekend. And the national is the granddaddy of all card shows. It has so many great guests. And Reggie Jackson's uh, doing his uh, show uh, from XM here. Um, uh, he does an hour every Saturday. So, He's doing that. He does uh, on Mad Dog Radio, and uh, I've known Reggie since uh, we were both young. I, I used to buy Reggie bars. Did they, you? They were delicious. It may not yeah. be a surprise that little Matt Spiegel was walking around eating Reggie bars. Well, you know, Reggie was cool. Uh, if, if you wanted to talk about a guy that sold the game and backed up what he uh, preached and caused people to react to him and was a big-time player, nobody did it. Much better than Reggie Jackson. I, I remember the story about him uh, driving the Rolls Royce from New York to L.A. 
after after the World Series, just kind of driving yeah. cross country and accepting congratulations at every rest stop along the way. You know what was cool? I spent uh, the last game of his career with him almost the entire day. So his last game of his career in 1987 in October uh, was played at Comiskey Park, old Comiskey Park. Hmm. And I, I spent a lot of time in the pregame. Uh, he he ended up, I think, one for three with a base hit. And then the postgame, I spent a lot of time with him. And it was it was interesting to see how he would react to just being, um, you know, after a storied career, one of the most famous players in history, those big moments in the World Series, the Billy Martin stuff. And he, you know, it was just a common game with two teams. He was with Oakland for a second time, just uh, ending his career. And there wasn't a lot of fanfare, you know, there wasn't. You know, there wasn't a lot of sports center or anything going on. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is his last game. See you later. But he still was allowed the opportunity by fate and by baseball to have the knowledge that that was his last game. He was able to go through that experience and, ha- and put the period at the end of his own sentence, right. Right. Which, which I can't really get past as I think about this Ben Zobrist situation, Bruce. Personally, because and well, you, you spoke of the respect you have for him, and you've been around players for for decades here. And, and I don't, I don't know Ben particularly well, but what I know of him, and in terms of his career, to have it end because you have to leave your team and deal with a familial situation that is frankly not of your own doing, and you are trying to set up. Uh, custody for your children for the rest of your life, all that stuff. Like you have to walk away in the middle of your final season. I'm glad that he is having a chance to come back and be a part of things. I don't know how effective it's going to be or how useful he'll be. And maybe he'll just, you know, play a little bit in September with the expanded rosters. And maybe he won't even make a playoff roster if they make the playoffs. And he'll just be on the bench and get to be part of things with the team. Who knows? But he deserves the opportunity to write his own ending. Oh, I agree. And this was going to be his final year anyway. Right. I mean, I had heard from people that are close to him that he was going to retire and, you know, move on and let his wife uh, have her career because she supported him. You know, even though she has her country singing uh, career, uh, would be her time to do that while he was with the children. So things, you know, upset the apple cart as we go through life. Things change. And uh, I admire Ben on a lot of different levels. Some people, and they have a right to this thinking, Matt, Mm -hmm. say, what does that have to do with me? All we want him to do, can he help the team or can't he? Okay? Keep your sentimental parts out of it. Uh, is he going to help the Cubs win or not? That's all we care about. And they have a right to that feeling as well. 670, the score is where you are. Um, ben Zobrist is going to return. We have a little bit of Theo Epstein uh, talking about what he can expect, what he is suspecting Ben Zobrist might be able to bring. And he's not sure, but this is Theo before the game yesterday talking about Ben Zobrist and the minor league stint that began last night. I don't know. I think I, all, all, all I keep falling back on is that I trust the, the person. So he would not be attempting to come back um, if, if he didn't think he could play at high level. You know, he's uh, and we've talked about this when, when uh, he and I that uh, he's well aware of everything that it takes physically and mentally um, to prepare 
especially at age 38, to play at this level. So he's been putting the work in, and uh, that process will continue this month. And, and, and then he'll make a good decision. You know, he's not going to come back and, and embarrass himself. If he, if he can't get to the point where he feels like he can play this game at a high level, then we'll, it'll go a different direction. But uh, we're full speed ahead, trusting the person. Uh, and and uh, we believe that if, if this month goes well, he can get himself in a position to come back and help us in a certain role. All right, so that's, that's asking a lot that to uh, have, have the guy be self-aware enough that after a month right. he says, you know what, nope, I don't have it. Well, and that's why, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, Matt, he, he hasn't talked to his teammates. He hasn't talked to the media because he's got nothing to tell them. If he tries, let's say he tries this weekend and all of a sudden, you know, the calf is bothering him or a hamstring or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he's unlucky enough to injure himself, that's it. One injury, okay, Matt, one injury from this coming back. And that's that. That's that. Yeah. That's it. He's not going to have time to come back and rehabilitate. So uh, taking it in a, in a proper style, uh, as Epstein said, there's going to be a few days in between where they talk about where he's going next. He might be at three different affiliates. He might be at Tennessee next, hmm. end up at AAA Iowa to compete at a higher level before he comes back. So this is tricky. It's, it's kind of unprecedented, you know, that uh, a guy is in this situation of, um, I want to come back, but it's got to be something, I, I got to be able to help my team. And it's going to be temporary, and I'll be a part-time player, and it's the last part of my career, and I'm done after this. There's so many different moving parts to this that makes it uh, difficult to project. That's why Zobris is not talking to his teammates or the media at this point. Did not talk to media last night, has not talked to his big league teammates yet. He did, however, sign a whole bunch of autographs for the fans in South Bend. That's the class of Ben Zobris. It's not like he's he's trying. He's not shy and he's not backing away. He's just doing the professional thing, the right thing to do right now. I've been been surprised at uh, the amount of uh, of personal angry backlash that there has been over recent times. And I'm sure it's largely from from people who've been through their own divorces or been through their own troubles and have had to show up and go back to work. And he is in a different different class financially. He's in a different class professionally that he's been able to take this break and had an employer that let him. Uh, let him do it. He also might have had more to deal with than, than some of us who've been in that situation. Well, keep in mind his uh, earning career in this job is over with, and he's earned enough that he probably doesn't have to work again. Mm-hmm. But that, that's one essential element that people forget. At age 38, you know, he's done working in a profession that he's worked toward for the last 25 years. It's 670 to score. Let's take a phone call. This is Otto in Westmont on inside the clubhouse right here on the score. What do you say, Otto? Joel, gentlemen, just want to know, why can't the Cubs hit on the road? That's all. Hang up. Listen to your answer. Thanks. <laughs> well, we got it. Let's solve it. Let's solve it right now, Bruce, and, and, and then pass it on to Theo and become executives. They're erratic. They're erratic. You want me to expand on As a team, they are erratic. They're erratic. They're they're f- their offense is erratic. Uh, 25% of their runs... Uh, up to last Sunday, hmm. 25% have been scored in 12 games. So they average 4.8 runs per game in, uh, with, with all of it combined. But if you take those 12 out, they average 4.1. Okay? It's a pretty significant difference. It's a huge difference. That's why 
my one word is it's an erratic offense. If the four guys don't get it done, then the lineup didn't get it done. Now you have Castellanos to go in there. Uh, you, you have uh, Kemp to go in there. So you have some different moving parts that might help this offense uh, realize them, uh, you know, a, a better outcome on a more consistent basis. You have, uh, for the White Sox last night, Ivan Nova, five innings and gave up five hits and just the one run, I, I believe, for Ivan Nova. He's this been is, their most consistent starter since the All-Star break. He really has. And I thought maybe they were still going to be able to get something for him um, at, at, at the break because he had shut down Minnesota at the deadline because he had just shut down Minnesota before the deadline. But Nova has been a good influence, supposedly, on Ronaldo Lopez, right? They've got a little bet going. He gives them a, they, they pass $100 bills back and forth, depending on how well Ronaldo Lopez pitches. And he has pitched a whole lot better since the All-Star break. Yvonne Nova getting a little bit of credit for that. They've, they've, uh, they're watchable in terms of the starting pitchings uh, on, on multiple nights. Because Ronaldo Lopez has returned to a guy who's worth watching as you see him um, hopefully try and salvage this year and set himself up for next you year. You should see Nova go through that clubhouse. And the way that he, uh, he, he's, when he sees Lopez use the inter- interpreter to talk to people, he'll go, speak English. That's- and he'll say it right in front of the, uh, you know, the, the other reporters. And he's... He's an energizer in that room. He gets people going. He's a very positive influence, and uh, they're happy that they kept him. But honestly, Matt, he's been the best pitcher on that team since the All-Star break. And I misspoke. You're right. That, that's what the $100 is about. If Lopez speaks to the media in English, then Nova gives him 100 bucks. If Lopez right. speaks Spanish, he has to give Nova yeah, $100. Yeah, bucks. No, it, it's, you know, it, there are some really good leaders in there and he is one of them but you know when you see that he's not a part of the future uh part of the future is bringing in the proper guys along the way to teach the right things and nova has done that uh for the white Sox. uh the white Sox really did their homework when they brought him in so that that's when they got right. That's when they got right in terms of the pro scouting, even though it took a while for him to, to get there in terms of pitching successfully, at least as a personality that's been a very helpful guy. Yeah, absolutely. Six, so, yeah, go ahead, man. 670 the score. we got time to squeeze in one more phone call. This is Shoelaces on the south side. Shoelaces, you're on Inside the Clubhouse. What's up? Hey, how y'all doing today? We're good. Uh, old time Shoelaces, had to call you today. Yeah, 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 original score caller. Here he is. Love it. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Um, you know, I, the uh, other car that took away what I was going to say to him, but I want to know, do you think, there's two things I want to bring up with him. Um, do you think the Cubs, I heard um, Byers' conversation, do you think the Cubs have a mental thing about, or oh, here we go again, we're not hitting after the first or second inning? And then I want to bring up about Reggie Jackson. I got a chance to be there myself. He was a good guy. I remember one thing with Reggie Jackson did. That was the 72 World Series. Then Charlie Finley tried to fire Mike Andrews, and Reggie Jackson stood up for Mike Andrews. Yeah, he did. Hey, Shoelaces, thank you. Uh, Really, an original caller from the very beginning. You were there pretty much very quickly, too. Yeah, 94. Right, but, I mean, uh, this guy was was probably on the first – Week of the show, you know, when uh, when they started back in 92. So, uh, yeah, you know, again, uh, the offense, you know, Baez talks about, you know, relaxing at home and taking that with them on the road. Uh, easier said than done. 
Easier said than done. Matt, we have people to thank. We do. Um, thank you to our guests. Ian Happ uh, was on this hour. Enjoyed that. And Tom Hodricourt from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, who's been around um, Milwaukee for a long time, since Hank Aaron was there, yes, I believe. Yes, indeed. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also writing on the website, 670thescore.com, Cubs and Sox every day. Matt, have a good week. I'll see you in two. We'll be back here on Inside the Clubhouse next week. You and Rosie have a good time. Thank you very much. Thank you to Zach Withers as well. By the way, um, if you are going to be at Wrigley tomorrow, come early and hang out with me at Brick House. I will be live there for Hit and Run tomorrow morning from 9 o'clock until 1235. Steve Rosenblum is next with me, Matt Spiegel, here on The Score. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.